Hi, my name is Danielle and you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. On this podcast, we discuss subjects that might be creepy to some and sometimes even frightening. Some of our episodes will deal with serious subject matter, while others will be more lighthearted. Please keep in mind that I am not an expert on any of the topics I cover, just an interested party, and as always, listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone, I'm Danielle. I'm Polymil. And you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. On this week's episode, instead of a mysterious disappearance, we're actually going to be discussing the mysterious appearance of a man in Sandy Cove, Nova Scotia. This is an old story. It dates back from the mid-1800s. There's certainly some conflicting information about the exact dates and the names of the people involved, but the bulk of the story remains the same through various tellings. Back in September 1863, a young boy named George Albright made a strange discovery on the shores of the beach in Sandy Cove, Nova Scotia. According to a 1954 Maclean's article, he came upon a man who was lying on the beach and had both legs amputated above the knee. The man was lying there helpless. Near him, there was a pitcher of water and a tin of biscuits. Have you heard this before? Uh, the story sounds familiar. There's two random things, a, a pitcher of water and a tin of biscuits. I guess food and water. So he could stay alive if he wasn't found right away? Yeah, okay. Now, the two legs amputated, this is not a fresh injury. No. So it looked like the amputation, it wasn't fully healed, but it was healing, and it looked like it had been done by a surgeon, not some kind of butcher job or anything like that. The man was brought back to the Albright house. So the accounts state that he would have been between about 19 and 25. This is according to the site CanadianMysteries.ca. He had light-colored hair and blue eyes, and many said they suspected that he was of European descent, though even his general appearance isn't actually completely agreed upon. Some sources say he looked Spanish or Greek. It was recounted that, like I mentioned, his amputation had been done by a skilled surgeon, and it was partially healed, but not all the way. It was also said that he was dressed in fine clothes, and that the skin on his hands seemed really smooth, like he wasn't accustomed to hard labor. So this, this random guy is found on the beach yeah. with a tin of biscuits and a pitcher of water. Yeah. Okay. So I know like it does sound like it's a made-up kind of tall tale, but there is actually accounts of this man being around. Um, there's a picture of him, and... Even if the, like, the details aren't agreed upon, this man did exist. Like, there's no doubt about it. People tried to converse with him and ask questions, and they did that in different languages. So they wanted to know how he ended up on the beach, where he'd come from. But he either wouldn't talk or wasn't able to talk. When he was asked his name, he made a sound, and whatever he said kind of sounded like he said Jerome. So he was known as Jerome from that moment forward. Because of the way he was dressed, some people speculated he may have been from nobility. Um, a few residents mentioned that they'd actually seen an American ship near the shore the night before Jerome was found. 
in that area of Nova Scotia, it would not have been rich people. So anything that was maybe a little bit fancier would have appeared like maybe more than what it was to them. Yeah, there's been a lot of fishermen and farmers there wearing breeches, and all of a sudden this guy shows up wearing, you know, maybe a, a, a shirt with frills on it. Or... Yeah, or a new coat that hasn't been darned or anything like that. Right. The community came together to help take care of Jerome. The government was petitioned, and they actually allowed a $2 a week stipend to assist with his care. This is according to the website lifeasahuman.com. Whichever family had him, and through his life, he would move from one family to the next in the area. Whoever had him also received $2 a week. Well, that's a pretty welcoming community. It is, yeah. And we'll just, uh, as we go through, we'll just hear about how welcoming they are compared to some other folks. So as I said, through his life, Jerome would end up living with several different families in the area. There were rumors that he would sometimes speak if he was caught off guard. So sometimes if they just said a question in passing while he wasn't really paying attention, he'd give like a one-word answer to it. Some even said that he could be heard muttering to himself at night if no one else was in the room. But it seems like when people tried to communicate directly with him, he'd make like growling noises or just incomprehensible sounds. He would often fly into rages at the slightest things, but he was very kind around children. Um, And some kids actually reported later that if there were no adults around, he would speak to them. Interesting. It's kind of hard though with the kids to see, like... Is it just like a childhood fantasy that when they got older, they had these stories about him, or did it actually happen, right? Could be. Jerome lived with the residents of Nova Scotia until his death. So they say that he died on the same day that the Titanic sank, but then other places say it was just around that time, so that would have been around April 15th, 1912. So if he was about 20 years old at the time he was found, it would have put him in his late 60s to early 70s at that point. So he lived all that time with the different families in Nova Scotia? Yep, yep. Amazing. Through the years, people have speculated a lot about who Jerome was and how he came to Sandy Cove. So we're going to look at a few different theories that were put forward about Jerome's origins. Now, before we get into that, a few words that Jerome apparently had spoken once was in response to being asked where he was from, and he said Trieste. He also apparently said the word Colombo a few times, and people believe that maybe the boat that he'd been on was named the Colombo. And also in response to some questions about what had happened to his legs, he would have responded Freddo, which means frozen leading people to believe that somehow his legs had gotten frozen, maybe frostbite. So so that word means frozen in what language? Uh, Italian. Italian, okay. Now, this would lead us to believe he was Italian, based on everything that is being reported there. But again, the information is pretty old, and in one story he has blonde hair and blue eyes, and in another one he looks Spanish, so it's a little bit hard to to really tell. Some people speculated that he may have been a nobleman who'd been cheated out of an inheritance. That he may have been a sailor that was mutinous aboard a ship, and as a punishment his legs were amputated and he was just dropped ashore. Or he could have been a spy or a deserter in the army. 
But the problem with all these theories is he wasn't left to die. He was left with food and water somewhere where he would have been found in a short time. Yeah, so whoever left him there made sure that he was okay until somebody found him. Yeah, if he'd been left to die, obviously they probably just would have thrown him overboard or like it very it feels very complicated to expertly cut off someone's legs and then bring the boat ashore to dump them close to a village. And way back in that time, there would have been a uh, there wouldn't have been that many doctors that were able to perform that surgery. No, not not well. Right. And not have the patient survive. Right, because, I mean, I don't know all the history behind this, but I know back in the day a lot of people wouldn't go to the doctor because you'd end up dead quicker that way. You were better, uh, you're better off staying away from doctors. Yeah, it's just medicine wasn't modern medicine. People didn't know about infections and things like that, so a lot of times they would try to save someone and just ending up spreading infection. So now we're going to come to the theory that makes the most sense. And I'm pretty sure you're going to be in agreement with me that this is more than likely what happened. So there are a few various tellings of the story, but a young man had stowed away on a ship headed to New Brunswick from Italy. Once he made it to New Brunswick, he worked various jobs, notably in lumber camps. So one day he either got lost and got severe frostbite or fell in the water and got wet somehow, which led to frostbite. Anyhow, whatever happened, the results were both of his legs needed to be amputated. In all of the versions of this story, it was a Dr. Peters from New Brunswick that had amputated his legs. For a while, the people of New Brunswick looked after him, but... They weren't people that were well off, and he quickly became a burden. So they asked some sailors on a passing American ship to drop him off somewhere where he would be found, and that's how he ended up in Sandy Cove. What are your thoughts on that theory? That, that's, that's quite a favor to just ask some random ship's captain to take this legless man and drop him off. They paid him. Okay. It wasn't out of the kindness of his heart. So it was better apparently to pay him than to keep taking care of this man. Okay. That was cheaper in the long run. It was cheaper in the long run. So there's actually a record of this man from New Brunswick. Um, They called him Gamby, and he was in Chipman, New Brunswick. He'd been found frozen in the snow and had had his legs amputated. So there's actual newspaper articles about this man being found. And in these newspaper articles, do they say that he's a foreign, like an Italian? So he doesn't speak English. Um, He woke up after his amputation or before, but he woke up yelling Gambi, which gamba is the Italian word for leg. So again, everyone thought he was Italian. My guess would have been either there was no one there who spoke Italian or he really wasn't saying very much other than that if they couldn't really determine where he was from. On the site canadianmysteries.ca, you can even find some transcripts of the newspaper articles discussing Gamby being put on a vessel to be transported. It was supposed to be to America, to the United States. 
But from Chipman, where would where would they put him in a a ship? Like that's that's a fair ways inland. Chipman is uh, uh, on on the way. It's inland from the uh, the old highway that goes into Fredericton. Let's pull it up on a map. Yeah, like I don't know how you'd get to a ship from there. Although there may have been ships in the in the river. This they may have transported him somewhere else too. There might have been a way into the St. John River from there. And... Yeah, so like there's a large body of water that falls into a river, and you would go down towards St. John and into the Bay of Fundy. Right. But once they, once they get to to St. John, I suppose the sh- the ship's captain would have taken the shortest route in the first place to drop there. Yeah, and so basically if you went down the St. John River, it would be almost directly across the Bay of Fundy to get to Sandy Cove. So probably through the river and then down. There's also information about a sailor from Nova Scotia who had sailed to America and had spoken to some American sailors who had said that they they actually asked about the man because they said that they had been on the ship that had dropped him off and they asked if he was okay. So there's more than one place where this story kind of is getting corroborated. I find it hard to believe, like I know people want to believe he was nobility or something like that, but it's hard to believe there was a man on record being found in New Brunswick having his legs amputated and then there was a man found in Nova Scotia with amputated le- amputated legs, also more than likely Italian, and this is not the same person. Right. And um, I don't know how common it would have been for a double amputee to survive back then. So it makes the, the percentage of, of possibilities even smaller that it, like it has to be the same person. Right. And so none of it really explains why he wouldn't speak or communicate. But I'm kind of thinking it's possible that he had sustained a brain injury or some brain damage during his time fro- like where he got frozen or frostbite. And that maybe he wasn't able to communicate properly except a word here or there. That's possible. And, you know, if you look at the terror of, of being your legs freezing off, Mm-hmm. Just that's enough to uh, cause you enough uh, PTSD that you could lose the ability to speak. The other thing is, can you imagine what the procedures were to knock the person out, to cut both of his legs off? Probably done it while he was awake. Yeah, it was probably it like would... a bottle of whiskey or something like that. Yeah, and it would have been a very traumatic experience. So it's, there could be many reasons why he would, he's not speaking. Yeah, it could be like a form of PTSD or trauma. That's true. And I was also thinking that if he'd been like cold, exposure to cold and frostbite, he could have actually had vocal cord damage because I've heard about people being left outdoors that they get frostbite on their vocal cords. So maybe he actually physically wasn't really able to speak very much. And we don't know how long he was either in the water or in the snow and how much screaming he did. He could have damaged his vocal cords like that. Exactly. The brain injury or brain damage could also explain why he was flying into uncontrollable rages at times because depending on where the injury is sustained, 
like poor impulse control is sometimes a problem for people. Yes. The fact that they talked about his hands being soft and then the New Brunswick story talking about him being in the lumber camps. I mean, maybe the type of work he did was wrong. Maybe just the amount of time that he hadn't been working, his calluses had kind of softened up. So I don't see that as a big red flag one way or the other. And it doesn't mean that he was a lumberman if he was in the lumber camps. He could have been a cook. He could have been a cook. He could have been working some other job around the camp as well. That's right. Of all the possibilities, this one makes the most sense to me. I think, again, like it's more exciting to think that he held on to a dark secret that he never shared in all his years, but I often feel like the simplest solution is probably the correct one. Yeah, it's the story over the years gets embellished and people want to think that there's this possible prince that was dumped in Nova Scotia with no legs and yeah we'll probably never really know all of Jerome's origin story it does seem pretty clear that Jerome and uh, the man they called Gamby were the same person and his inability to communicate could have been by choice but could have been through trauma a brain injury damage to his vocal vocal cords the other thing is back in the day you couldn't communicate around so easily like now you would just put a picture up on social media and be like, does anyone know who this person is? He was found lost or whatever. But now, back then in in the 1800s, you couldn't do that. Was there any indication that Jerome could speak before the injury? They don't really know much about him. Like, there's nothing really written about him prior to him being frozen. So I feel like he was probably, like, if he worked in a lumber camp, he was probably just a worker that nobody really bothered to remember. He may have not been able to speak then. That's true. That's true. And and his his inability to speak has nothing to do with, with trauma or the injury. He may have been mute. That is possible. And again, I just don't think... Anyone really remembered him prior to that because he was just, you know what I mean? Like another another working stiff in the area. And if he didn't speak the language, like nobody really probably spent much time with him. That's right. The nice thing I think to remember in this story is the people of Nova Scotia kind of band together and took care of him for all those years, despite the fact that he wasn't necessarily always the nicest person they did take care of him yeah he was from away mm-hmm. plus he had these anger issues and uh it's quite an undertaking to care for somebody what 40 years yeah that's a long time and he was like again those were poor people like fishermen and just um they, they weren't people of means and they still they still took him in and helped him out as opposed to the people of New Brunswick who just shipped him off. Yeah. They paid to ship him off, and the people of Nova Scotia took him in, and eventually the government paid them a stipend to keep him. But I suppose cash was hard to come by back then, and a couple of bucks would have gone a long ways with the family. Yeah, there is one family he lived with. I forget what their name was, but they had some children, and the article was saying that it was helpful to the family to have the extra income. Well, for the things you can't barter for, grow yourself or or provide for yourself, at least you have cash to go and buy it. Exactly. And I I joked about the people of New Brunswick, but you can't fault them either. Like, again, those people probably had very little means. 
So to them, they thought, okay, you can bring him somewhere that maybe has better resources to help provide for him. Yeah, I wonder if, you know, Chipman's not a big place or that area, that whole area is, even today is not that populated. And they could have done it thinking that there might have been better doctors or hospitals in Nova Scotia that would have been able to help solve these problems. The plan actually apparently wasn't for him to be dropped in Nova Scotia. He was supposed to be brought to the U.S., but the ship okay. just dropped him off at the closest area. Well, probably, pro- probably once they got out to sea, if he was having anger issues, they were just looking for a patch of land to just get rid of him. Yeah. And and some unscrupulous captain say, yeah, I'll take your money and bring him to the U.S. And as soon as you get a chance, they get rid of him. But for Jerome, it ended up being a good thing because he was taken care of. Sure, and... Had they not dropped him there and they'd have got farther out to sea, they might have just thrown him overboard. Exactly. If he was a, a burden or a big problem, that could have happened as well. Good for them for leaving him at least somewhere where he was found. Yeah. So we're going to finish up tonight with a moment of kindness. I have some friends who actually found a cat hanging out on their doorstep. They came home from work and there was a cat just kind of waiting for them on their step the other day. They managed to get him safely into their garage. The cat was safe. They got scratched up pretty bad because apparently he was a bit spooked, but the cat was okay. Once they got him in there, they uh, went on the Facebook marketplace and looked at the lost cat ads and found the owner and contacted her and she was able to come over and safely retrieve her cat. So they were reunited. That's nice. And uh, again, it goes a little bit like you were saying in the story. There was no social media back then to try to identify Jerome. Yeah. Here, this missing cat is found, the owners are found quite quickly. Really quickly, yeah. They knew right away, which was good. So the cats reunited with their owner. It was, I just wanted to give a shout out to them for actually taking the time and Again, I know sometimes cats, if they're scared and they start scratching, your first instinct is pretty much to drop them and it probably would have run off. So they were actually able to sort of put them somewhere safe until the owner could come by. Well, they did a better job than the people of New Brunswick taking care of Jerome. (laughs) So at at least the cat got back home. So uh, kudos to them. That's true. Thanks again to everyone who's been listening. Uh, We know everyone's time is really precious. Everyone's very busy. So we appreciate you using some of your time to listen to our podcast or to give us a rating. If you want to reach out to us, you can write us at crimeandmysterycanada at gmail.com. Our Facebook group is Crime and Mystery Canada, and we're on Instagram under Crime and Mystery Canada. I hope everyone stays safe out there. Have a good night. Good night.